This is Ethios with Bemneti Meskin from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. My guest today is Antu Yakob. They were showing um, the man in the mirror video one day. And it was when they they let the video play from like beginning to end where you saw the credits. And so when the credits were rolling, I said to her, I want to do that. I want to be on television. And she pointed at the credits and she said, well, then you better learn who all those people are. Antu was born in Dredawa, Ethiopia and raised in California and Minnesota. She received her master's in acting from Mason Gross School of Arts at Rutgers University. She received her bachelor's in communication from the University of Minnesota Duluth. Her play Morning Sun, set in Ethiopia and the US, was featured in the 2016 Kampala International Theater Festival in Uganda. The play received its world premiere as part of the 167th show in its 2015 through 2016 season at the West End Theater in New York. This past July, Antu's autobiography solo show, In the Gray, premiered in Project Y Theater's inaugural Women in Theater Festival at the Theater Row in New York. Her work has been featured in numerous festivals and theaters across the nation. She is also the founder of Shagge Song Performing Arts Collective, a nonprofit organization that focuses on international women's issues as well as developing performing arts education to grades 4 through 12. She teaches acting at Rutgers University in New Jersey. You'll also be able to catch her in the upcoming Netflix Originals TV series, Gypsy. Antu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bamnet. Oh, this is, I've been looking forward to this. So thank you so much for being responsive and getting back to me. Uh, it's definitely one of the interviews that I've really been looking forward to. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> None taken. <laughs> so tell, tell us about you. Where are you from? How, you know, what was your childhood like? Give us a picture. Okay. Uh, well, I was born in Dredoa, Ethiopia. And, uh, and then when I was three, we moved to Djibouti. And then when I was five, we moved to the Bay Area, San Francisco, California. And I lived there until I was 15. And then uh, when I was 15, we moved to uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. So um, kind of moved around a lot. Uh, but my childhood feels more like I spent most of it in the Bay Area, in San Francisco, and then, you know, my teen, my teenage years really hiked up in Minnesota. Um, what, what, how did you guys get there? How did you guys get from uh, Dredawa to Djibouti to California? You know, what were the circumstances? Well, um, basically, my mother, um, I was raised by my grandmother for a few years. Um, and we, my mother was very busy. She was, um, a little bit of a freedom fighter, you know, she was speaking up for Oromo rights and um, she kind of was busy with that situation. So we, in terms of Dredoa to Djibouti, um, I, I remember that my, I walked with my grandmother 
Really? Uh, you yeah. walked to Djibouti? Well, I mean, not all the way, obviously. Wa- not all the way, <laughs> but I do remember walking for three days. Wow. And I don't know, I, I have to ask my mother, where were we walking for those three days? Because she would know. And um, I, I had a sister at the time who felt ill. She was a baby um, oh, at wow. the time. And she actually passed during oh, because man, she sorry. got ill on the road. Because back in those days, and this is a long time, it's not that long ago, but back in those <laughs> days, in those times, we walked places. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I do remember walking. I don't remember how, I, I really don't remember at what point the walking started and like the bus stopped. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that memory. Um, I really actually don't have much memory of the land itself. I have more like memories of, you know, situations and things that happened with family. From Djibouti, uh, my mother and uh, basically my parents at that time, they had friends that were living in the Bay Area who were their sponsors, you know, the other Ethiopians um, who who basically, you know, were were vouching for us. And we, we came at that point. Um, and that's when actually, so I, that happened when I was five. So that's when my mother actually became like a, a everyday part of my life because she moved with me and my grandmother stayed back there. I see. Um, so your, so I, your, your memories, your early memories kind of start somewhere in Djibouti or California? Yeah. I mean, I have like one memory with my father. I mean, he, he now lives in Australia. I have a memory with him there. And I believe that was a memory in Diridoa, but it's almost like a dream memory, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, I do remember really being in California. Like I remember learning how to speak English, you know, because I went to a school in San Francisco that was predominantly um, Asian um, immigrants. And there were like very few African-Americans there, but there were definitely no Africans at the time. This is in the early 80s. Um, So there was like I was I was kind of a little bit of a strange bird for all of them (laughs) because the Asian immigrants had already learned English. You know what I mean? They've been there for a while and they're looking at me and they're like, okay, well, you're black, but you're not black like them over there, you know? And so them over there were like, well, what are you? Like, we never seen any Africans. Why don't you speak the language? You know, um, that was very, that was kind of a little bit of a, you know, I do remember that that was a little bit traumatizing. Um, and I, I came to this country, to the U.S., speaking three different languages. Like, I spoke Oromo, Arabic, and I could speak Somali because th- those were the languages that were being spoken around me in Djibouti. Oh, wow. And my mother and her husband in the house were speaking uh, Amharic. So after we moved to the States, that's I learned Amharic just from being around them. Um, but it was... But in my learning of English, my teacher at the time told me that if I really wanted to speak, because I was very frustrated. I mean, you can imagine being a a five-year-old child, you know, the whole world is completely switched around. You're like, who are these people? Where am I? And I do remember, if you read, I wrote this story on my website um, in in the About Unto page. But actually, I refused to go to America. I didn't want to go. They had to, like, drag me. Um, they basically, you know, my, my stepdad at the time was like, you know, we'll buy you candy. No, I don't want to go. Like, you got to get on this plane. They're like, we'll buy you. Do you want clothes? We'll buy you dresses. 
dresses. I'm like, no, I don't want dresses. I'm not leaving. And it, they they got me when they said, um, how about a bicycle? Like they, <laughs> that's what did it. That's what that's, did it. That's what did it. It's like, we'll get you a bicycle, and then we'll come back. Oh, we'll, we'll come. I was like, okay, you promise we're gonna go get a bicycle, go to America, get a bicycle, and come back. They're like, yes, we promise. <laughs> And I didn't, I didn't even get my first bicycle until I was 11. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get So you didn't even that. get the bike when you I got here? I didn't get the bike for like six years later. Does that but, work? Does that still work if, if somebody needs to get something out of you? Look, I'll get you a bike. All right. Let's go. Right. That's uh, all. I'm easy. I just take two, two wheels. Um, yeah, no. So that, so I get, yeah, I get to the States and um, just really having a hard time, you know, getting like making friends I'm like don't know what's going on I can't like read I, I don't understand what's going on so my teacher said to me if you want to learn English you're going to have to like speak it um all the time like don't speak any of your other languages so I took that to heart you know because I'm like I've got to catch up like I don't like being on the outside so I came home and I told my mother like you know if I want to speak English, my teacher said, if I want to learn English and do good in school, I have to speak it all the time. And so she would speak to me in Oromo and I wouldn't answer her. Like I completely like I just shut it down. I ignored her. And this went on for days and days until finally she started speaking. She would speak English to me. And it was like it's one of those things that I um, it's, it's an embarrassing story for me. But at the same time, it speaks to like the thought at that time and, and the thought now too about like what does it mean to be an immigrant in a country where you're contributing, you know, but do you have to sacrifice your culture to really, really be a part of the culture, the the predominant culture that you're in, or can you have a fusion? Like I definitely believe you can have a fusion, but these this is like a revolutionary thought in the eighties. Nobody was talking about that. And um, my, so I, I basically stopped speaking those three languages and I, I don't, I can't speak them now, but I, I can understand Amharic because they were speaking it in the house, you know, and it was like my brain just kind of like picked it up. Um, and it's really, so it was like childhood, you know, in the Bay Area, as beautiful as it was. I mean, my God, it's, if you've ever been to San Francisco, it's gorgeous. And then there's so many, so many different people. Like mm -hmm. I always so. went to schools where there were such a diverse group of people, yep. which I value. And at the same time, I was always on the outside of that diversity, even though there were like, you know, so many other different people. There was always that struggle for me to be confident in who I am as a, you know, Oromo Ethiopian American. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like I was always trying to find, well, you know, I made friends with like, I seem to make friends with people from other countries fairly easily because I, I understood that once I spoke English and we get that. And so that's that's where the base of my friends were. And then like in terms of, you know, that finding the unity between like the mm. African-American community and myself, like that took a while, too, because there was all these, you know, thoughts these these negative thoughts that oh you, you're you're on top of your homework you think you're better than me or you hang out you hang out with the Asians you think you're better than me you know um, you don't you talk white people will tell me this all my life and I'm like well what do you expect like a white woman taught me English 
I mean, I, I don't even know what that, you know, so I talk a little bit about that in my one woman show about what does it mean to talk white and talk black. And, you know, that show is all about my experience growing up in this country. You brought up a really good point with how much assimilation do you, assimilation do you have to do as an immigrant? To be honest with you, if I was living in Ethiopia and, you know, we had immigrants from other countries, I would be a little offended if they didn't learn the language at the, <laughs> at the very least. You know what I mean? Right. And and I only think it's natural that the parents who come here or even older older people, I, I think really one of the first things is learn the language here because it just it makes it it makes life easier. Yes, it is. I think now we're in a space where, you know, it is there's room to even have that dialogue. People can like you and I can speak about it and say, hey, you can tell our children it's OK. But there was a period of time where I think it wasn't even like a it wasn't even an issue or uh, there wasn't even room to talk about the other culture. It's just like learn English. You're here. Learn it. <laughs> No, this is so, where you are right now. Yeah. That's, uh, so you were in San Francisco for a number of years. Um, is, mm -hmm. is that where you finished your high school? Or did you go to Minnesota and finish high school there? Yeah, soft, when I was a sophomore in high school, we moved to Minnesota. Um, and then I finished my junior and senior year there. And that, again, that was a cultural shock. I don't know if you've ever been to Minnesota. I have. I have. It, it's definitely it's a very Friday. different place. Yeah, it's really different. And when you're coming from the Bay Area where there's like, you know, Filipino people and Vietnamese people and Ecuadorian people and African-American, like there's all these people in your class. And then you go to Minnesota and you're like, okay, there's two black people in this room. <laughs> and then there's like 40 like Caucasian people who are like, you know, like, yeah. Not from brunettes. Yeah. They're, like, they're like Swedish, Finnish, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it was such a, a kind of, it was another cultural shock yeah. for me. But I didn't experience the amount of, um, once I got over it myself, actually, I'll say. Once I got over it myself, I was able to find some sense of balance. But it took me a while because, I, again, I felt like an alien. Like, where am I? <laughs> And then I went to undergrad in Duluth, Minnesota, which is the northern, it's like right next to Superior, Wisconsin. Mm. It's like the very northernmost part of Minnesota. And so like when I did my two years in high school, we, you know, you did see the people of color and you saw like Ethiopians here and there, like there were like three Eritreans at my high school, you know, and there was, um, and then my second when I was a senior, my cousin started attending the school. So I didn't feel, you know, as alienated, but gotcha. I also got to see the pockets of color that were there. I mean, in St. Paul and Minneapolis, you definitely have much more diversity than you do in Duluth, Minnesota, which is where I like, when I went for college, it was, again, I'm like, cultural shock number three. Like, what's <laughs> going on? Where are we going with this? <laughs> you know, it's very, very remote. Um, it since has changed, I mean, and thankfully so, because there's such a huge population of East Africans in Minnesota now. That's right. Um, so, Specifically Somali people, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the largest. I think Somali people are the largest ethnic population in Minnesota. And um, but there's a lot of Oromos there, too. 
and there's, you know, um, there's Amharas, there's Eritreans. I mean, there's everybody there. And now in at UMD where I went, there's there's more of us there represented. I mean, I think at the time I was the only, it seemed like I always found myself being like the only Ethiopian in a building, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, then like, I think in my third or fourth year, one of my mother's like distant relative friends, their son was attending the school. No, he was actually older than me. Yeah, yeah. He was there. He was older than me though. And then when he graduated, it was just me. Another cultural shock. So I found myself at that time, I was very, very connected to like the African-American movement. So I kind of like connected myself to, to the Black Student Association. And I was very heavily involved in that. And then I also started to get involved with the international club, you know, um, as well. But that's where I, I also, I mean, I don't know, I found it to be somewhat of a quiet campus. And some people would argue that you don't have as many distractions if there's not like a lot of people for you to party with, but you always find people to party with, you know, you always do. And I was never a person who like, I didn't, I don't have a problem with white people. Like I I have a problem with people who are, who are, um, who are racist. I have a problem with people who are like uh, choosing to be ignorant, you know, but I found myself amongst a lot of, you know, Caucasians who actually were curious and I was just, I was always like a free spirit. I was like, I'll talk to you if you'll talk to me. I don't have that. I don't have that, you know, but if I see something in you that's negative and hateful, then I'm going to stay away from it or I'm going to like address it. That makes sense. Did, so, you, anyway. did you get into theater when you were in Minnesota or did you get into theater much earlier? Yeah. So I got into theater. It's funny. I, um, I got into my first play at the University of Minnesota, Duluth, but when I was in um, San Francisco, I was at a, it was like a gifted and talented high school. And we had a drama club that met after class. I mean, after school. And it was my English teacher who was the leader of it. So he actually helped us devise our first piece where we all wrote these monologues and we read them at a thing. Um, that was, I guess that was my introduction. Do you remember? I, Do you remember your lines or any of your lines? Oh, no, I don't remember, but he published it into a book that I have with me. It's it's packed away, but it <laughs> I was, was gonna, like, I was going to put you on the spot, so you, you got uh, off. <laughs> no, I got off. Uh, but I will tell you, when I went to Minnesota, um, so the, the acting, the theater department there is very small, and the students there reached out to, um, the directing students had to, they were graded on these plays, right, that they had to direct. And you had a couple of these um, Caucasian students who really wanted to direct plays by African-American playwrights because they they had no people of color in the department. So they reached out to people in the Black Student Association who were interested in acting. So my first play was um, The Colored Museum by George C. Wolfe. And so I did it with that, with one of the students that directed it. And their teacher, his name was... Um, Bill Payne, he was an acting teacher at UMD. Um, The following year, so this was my freshman year of college. So we did the Colored Museum. Then the following year, it seemed to be like a nice little partnership. So another student came over and said, hey, I really want to direct 
uh, for colored girls who've considered suicide when the rainbow is enough by Intazaki Shange. They turned that into a film. Tyler Perry turned it into a film. But anyway, so so then I did that. And then the following year after that, um, Bill Payne, the professor, came to me and he said, you know, um, we're thinking about doing this play by Jose Rivera. It's called Marisol. Actually, they were doing it by Puerto Rican American, uh, well, that's Puerto Rican playwright about uh, this Americanized Puerto Rican woman who finds herself in, in the apocalypse and her world gets, you know, like post-apocalyptic world. All of her ideas get turned around upside on her head. She she questions who she is, right? So the lead character is Puerto Rican and um, there was a an angel that comes to her in the play who's, who's an African-American woman and He's, he, he, we had a private meeting. He said, I want you to read it. I'd love for you to audition, you know, for the role, you know, of the angel. So I read it. I called, you know, we met again and I said, I read the play, I'll audition, but I'm not auditioning for the role of the angel. I'm going to audition for the lead, you know. That's a power move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I'm like, you're not going to cast me just because I have brown skin. Like, if you're going to do it, I've seen Puerto Ricans who have my complexion. You know well, what I mean? Well, that's interesting because so, you can pass for a lot, right? I've, I've seen your, your headshots. When we used to cast uh, uh, talent, we used to call it racially ambiguous. You can play black, Hispanic, you know, mix. It's really interesting because I never, ever thought of myself like that. I just, I just knew... Like, I never marked that box, but there is that. You're right. I just knew that people would come up to me and say, you know, are you Dominican or are you Puerto Rican? So, so yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it opened it up. I just always thought, hey, I'm African, African-American, you know. But for that purpose, I felt like I had a, like a little social, socially forward soldier inside of me who was like, don't come to me just because I'm black. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> So, what, so what, how did he respond? So he's like, sure. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't be like, no, because that would make him, you know, that would make him wrong. And he wasn't. He wasn't that kind of a person. He was ve- he was very culturally sensitive. And he was like, okay, sure. He's like, these are, you know, these are the audition dates. And I said, listen, my, I had a, I had a roommate at the time who was biracial. And she had done a couple of the plays too, but she didn't love acting as much as I did, but she... She kind of like, you know, she had done some modeling and stuff. So I said, I'll talk to her and see if she's interested, you know, in the role of the angel. So I talked to her and she's like, yeah, I'll audition. So this is this is the thing. So the night of the auditions, it was a very like it's a university audition. So it's not handled like professionally. But the way they did it is they just basically they did time slots and then they started you know, asking people to leave who they didn't want to stay anymore. So like the longer you stayed in and they would like, they paired you up with, you know, other actors for the different scenes. You that, know what I mean? That is tough. It's like getting picked for a soccer team. You're like, <laughs> it's like yeah, you're getting hacked along the way. It's that's... like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect because I never done it before. Like I hadn't, I hadn't had any acting training. I was just going in like, I knew, and I'll tell you the story of when I knew I wanted to be an actor. It was it was when I was in grade school. But yeah, I'll tell you that story right after this. But when um, I knew that I wanted to be an actor, but I had no training. But for some reason, at the end of the night, 
it was me left reading all the Marisol lines, the Marisol lines. I'm like, huh, okay. I was like, that's nice. And I was like, well, there was another girl I saw, you know, whatever. So we go the next, when, however long it took to get the list up, go look at the list and I'm cast as a lead. I was like, wow, I'm going to get to do. And so I was actually the first, not just like, I was the first Ethiopian, the first African-American, the first like person of African descent to be in one of their productions at that university to play the lead. So that kind of was like historical for me. And I'm like, maybe there's something to this, you know? And then we, um, that show was picked, like there were these scholarships that, you know, different, all the stuff I didn't know about after we did the run of the show. So the show was entered for like a competition and they invited us to come and do perform a scene in the competition. And then there was also like a scholarship that actors were trying out for. And I was like the only person in the cast who got moved forward. I didn't get the scholarship, but I got moved forward. And so it, it led me to think like, I learned a great lesson because I was surrounded by all of these actors in the cast who were actually being, they were training at the school. They were getting their degree in theater. And I was feeling very insecure because I felt like I was a baby bumbling through everything, right? But then yet I found myself in this situation and um, it just led me to like start to trust myself more. And um, at that point I knew my mother wasn't going to be okay with a major in theater. <laughs> right? You know. I don't think any African parents... <laughs> Unless unless you immediately get a role in like some Hollywood thing, right? It's because they, they're so protective about. They they I think they understand the the degree of failure in that industry too. It's yeah. They it's just the fear. They give in to the fear, and I was at that point. I was like, I'm not standing up to my mom. I'm just going to get a degree in communications and journalism, you know, and. Um, speaking to one of the acting teachers there and at well I went into school thinking I was going to major in psychology and I was speaking to the teacher and she's like well you know acting is studying psychology but you're just doing it in a different way and and I'm like my mom ain't gonna fly for that but thank <laughs> you I appreciate it did, they, did people around you realize that you you could act and that you, you could take this seriously you can take it somewhere or did you just know that this is something that you could take somewhere? Well, my mother, okay, so my when I'm growing up, they would always ask me to do impressions. Like, I could do impressions, I could do... Um, like, what kind of impressions? Because I'm going like, to put you on the spot oh, here. God. <laughs> well, not anybody famous. Okay. But, like, they would be like, do a southern accent. It was more uh, like gotcha. accents. All right, do a southern I'm accent. Like, do a, so I'm like, so here I am, I'm sitting with Bimnit, and we're gonna we're gonna do this interview, right? And he's talking to me about my past and my childhood and things, and I'm just letting him know, you know, about it. But so then they'd That's be brilliant. like, Yeah. They'd be like, Do this one. <laughs> like when they had guests. They'd yep. be like, Do this, do that. Yep, yep. And I'm like, Okay. That's but it awesome. wasn't like they weren't like, Oh, she's gonna be an actor. My mother saw very early that I had like writing ability that I could write stories well. And she really liked, like, she encouraged that. But oh, going back to when I knew, so 
when I was in grade school, after I learned English, um, <laughs> I had a friend, uh, my best friend, who was from, at the time they called it Burma, but now I think they call it Myanmar. Myanmar, yeah. Myanmar. Yeah, yeah. Is it, has it gone back to Burma? I don't know. You probably know better than I do. So No, I don't. It's been a while. But okay, so Myanmar, she was from there and she lived across the street from the school. After school, I was supposed to wait for my parents to pick me up in the, you know, the playground, but they would be late all the time. So I knew I had time to go to her house. So I go to her house and one day we were watching um, the MTV she had MTV. I was so amped that she had MTV at her Is house. Is this MTV and when it, it was music television or yes. when they started doing like <laughs> everything except for music? No, this, this was, I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade. I think I was, in, I don't know. It was, it was still music videos because they were showing um, the man in the mirror video one day. And Michael it was Jackson. when they, they let the video play from like beginning to end where you saw the credits. Mm. And so when the credits were rolling, I said to her, I want to do that. I want to be on television. Hmm. And she pointed at the credits and she said, well, then you better learn who all those people are. <laughs> I'm like, dang, we were smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. And, I, and it was like, okay, I want to do this, but there's just no way. Because at the time, my parents were, um, okay, my, my parents, biologically, they're Muslim. I went to Islamic school when I, I was in uh, back home. And then when they came here, um, so my stepdad at the time, he was practicing. He, he was a Christian. And then he he converted to uh, being a Jehovah's Witness. So we were living like that for, for, for the whole time I was there. So there was like, I didn't see a way of how I was going to get into the entertainment business. But... The thing about the Kingdom Hall, you tell me if I can go on and on and on, but listen, the thing about, the, yeah, go ahead. No, go on. I want to hear it. Oh, I want to hear yeah. it all. So, like, the thing about when you're in the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, you have to write these scripts every couple weeks. You have to write a script of, you know, the roles that you play, like, who's, who's you know, because they go door to door and they try to, uh, like, yeah. preach the good news. So, you write the script, you're at the door, you try to write, um what the person on the other side of the door is going to say so that you can write your rebuttals basically, or your, you know, your way around them. Really? To try to get them to see your point and to try to get them to come to a meeting or do a Bible study. Yes. Interesting. And then after you write it, you, you get scheduled to when you perform it on you're, stage. You're kidding me. No, this is, and this is where I got my story. <laughs> <laughs> you were writing for that theater, huh? Interesting. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad we. Yes. I'm glad we took it there. I, I, this is really curious, like eye-opening experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, so, and there's some. Of the so best next time they I come knocking, met. I'll be like, uh, "Can I get my script? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Can I get my lines, please?" <laughs> be like, "Yeah, okay. What, what do you want me to say here?" Yeah, wow. kind of. People no idea. don't know about that. But yeah, and then like I would help my my stepdad at the time. He was a. Uh, um, he was like a ministerial servant, so I would help him write his speeches. You know, I would like kind of go over the speeches. So I was getting a lot of practice, I guess, accidentally. Like they didn't know what they were, you know, giving me. But that's where it started. And then I it got it got put to stage. So fast forward to Minnesota. So when I did Marisol, I was like, 
whoa, there's something here, but I can't stand up to my parents. Okay, I'm just going to get this journalism degree and then I'm going to get my master's in acting. That's smart. Very yeah. smart. Because you, um, you, you had a very legitimate kind of fallback plan. Because yeah. it it really is a volatile. I mean, you tell me, but it seems like acting, and and I'm fair. I know a few people in the industry. Um, it seems like it's a, such an unsure career path, and it, it takes a lot of a lot of different things to align for somebody to get a break, and many years sometimes. So, having a communications degree, which is very usable, is 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 a smart thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I think so much of it is. I got it with with no intention of using it. I'm gonna be straight up with you. <laughs> but I got it so my parents could be happy. And gotcha. I, I, it is so what the point that you just you just made about time and things lining up, I think it's it is timing. I also think it's like you have to spiritually be connected. Like you have to know that when you choose to do this, that um, and I don't know if, if you believe in the in God. I I do. Some people call it universe. I I believe in God. I believe that if if this is what you've been chosen to do, you have to do it. But you have to know that there has to be a peace and a strength inside of you, and and a diligence inside of you that is going to walk the path, and that the things that happen for you they happen when God makes them happen. Mm. But in the meantime. You have to continue working on your craft. Mm, you have to continue, like, you, you have to be on the path and you have to know that it's going to work out for you. I think when people go in there and they're like, oh, it's, 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 so, it's so challenging, so competitive, mm -hmm. it's all of these things and they have all of these reasons why not. It's like, those are your reasons for you, mm. but it's not necessarily for me. Like, it's almost like you have to make a, a pact with, and, and you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and get spiritual. I feel like you make a pact with God when you do this, you know, much like you do with anything you, you, you do in life, mm. you know, and that uh, my acting teachers at Rutgers would say, you don't choose to do this. It chooses you Interesting. because you don't do this for the money, because there will be times when you'll be doing this when you won't have any. Interesting. You know what I mean? And that, that was just, that was them giving us a reality check. Like, you're not doing this for the fame. Because there'll be times when you won't be famous or you don't <laughs> want to be famous. It's true. You know, it chooses you. So when you when you accept it, you know, you make sure that you, you stay on top of what the craft is. That's and, interesting. That's yeah, really interesting. So it's a very, for me, it's always been a spiritual thing. Because I chose acting because I saw it as a way um of people being really like practicing true compassion, like learning what it feels like and experiencing what it feels like to be somebody else and telling their story. Like how else can you really, really experience um, or understand what somebody is going through? Like you do it when you're an actor, you decide that this is, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to tell stories so that my stories can be a reflection to the audience of our society. You know what I mean? So that this, this can show us like what we need to work on. You know, if like, if you can, I remember when I wrote my, um, I had to write an application for, before I got into grad school, I did like the six week actors training. I went back to San Francisco, by the way. 
mm-hmm. after I graduated. That's where you so did the training? Well, the six weeks. The gotcha. six-week actor's training is uh, at American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And it was after that that I, I moved back and I auditioned um, in San Francisco. I actually auditioned for Rutgers University mm. um, because they, they, the schools, the master's programs, they go through all, like they go to major cities. So I decided to audition when I was living back in Frisco. I auditioned for Rutgers and I got in. So that's wow. what brought me out east. Wow. How, what was that like? Was it pretty rigorous? Actually, bef- even before we go there, yeah. just to get a glimpse into <laughs> right. the the role of Marisol right, in theater in general, right? Yeah. Just kind of getting the glimpse, like, you know, no pun intended, but behind the curtains of how much preparation goes into it and yeah. how many times you perform. Like, can you give us an insight of like how long uh, auditions, uh, not auditions, but rehearsals take, how many hours, how many days, and then also, like, how many times do you perform? It really depends on the contract. It depends on the theater. So Marisol was something like it was at a university, and and that was before I really started learning how to train. I took my first acting class after that, so I don't know if I can count that. Tell us about but, your first big, like, well, fairly major role with the with the theater, what, what do you call them, a theater, uh, theater company? company? Exactly, yeah, there you go. So, like, universities, they usually... You get like two months of rehearsal, you know, and then you perform for like a couple weeks. But when you get out into like a regional theater or, you know, a New York theater, nowadays rehearsals are running like four weeks. Sometimes they're two. Sometimes it's, I mean, mm -mm, it's like. That's short. Yeah, it's short. It's four weeks. um, And then, you know, you kind of like go ahead and the run is. Okay, it kind of varies because it's based on budget. So if they have the budget to give you a nice, like, five-week rehearsal, they'll give it to you. It depends on how much money the theater has. Um, So it kind of fluctuates. And then also the run, the amount of time that it runs, also depends on the amount of money that they have. Yeah, like Broadway runs, you know, they go for a long time. Yeah. And they they go crazy. They're like eight shows per week. And it's the same yeah. actors and actresses. But they also have they have understudies and they also have like swings and they have like all these people that are like learning the roles in case something happens. And so my first actually my first major like the contract that I got that gave me my equity membership. So for a theater actor, that's a union that represents you. That was my first big job out of school. I was a I got an I was an understudy for this two-woman show called In the Continuum. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, written by Denai Gurira and Nicole Salter, and they both were in it. Um, so I, I understudied them. We went to, um, so the first place we went to was Cincinnati, and then we also went to Philadelphia, and we went some, one other place. I can't remember right now. But they had went, they had also another understudy that went in other cities. But for that, I had rehearsal even though I wasn't going on. So understudies rehearse as well, um, just so you know. I was, and then like I had a straight two week rehearsal because the show was already running. But um, I had a two week rehearsal, and then they would, she, uh, the director would rehearse me once a week. After that, as long as I went to, you know, I had a certain amount of shows I had to watch to to keep it fresh on my mind. Um, and I went on, I think. I went on 
I think I went on twice for the course of that. Uh, when we were in Philly, I went on twice. Wow. I remember that. That's, but, a, that's um, a lot of preparation for a maybe, a maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah, but let me tell you, you, you get like excited. Yeah. It's almost, I, I guess the thing that I, um, the thing that I can compare it to is, uh, I'm not that athletic, but in a different way I am, you know, through the arts. But the thing I can prepare it to compare it to is the person who's on the bench who's like, coach, let me in, let me in, let me in. <laughs> you know, you're like, you make sure, because yeah. by the time you get in, it's like such a, an amazing experience, right, you know? Right. So I don't knock understudying. Like, gotcha, you know, it's, gotcha. it's, it's, it's good. It's, it was good for me at that time because I was able to get my union membership. And, you know, that's something that um, actors aspire to do. And um, I also got, wait a minute, before I got into grad school, I was hired at a theater in Minneapolis for, for a major, yeah for a major show at that time too, that was called the House of Crack, the Crack Built. And they were looking for a replacement for their actor. And I had two weeks. They had had about a month, I think, oh. a month of rehearsal. Oh. Um, I came in in the two weeks and I learned it. And we had, I think it was like a two month run, something like two to, two oh, to wow. three months. That was an amazing. And how often did you perform? Oh, um, so with theater schedules, you basically, you perform every night except for Monday. Monday is a dark night. Yeah. They so call what it do you do night. as your like, so you don't do anything other than theater during that month or two run? Well, you work. I mean, your shows are in the evening. Yeah. So like once once the show opens, you don't have rehearsal anymore during the day. So you have your daytime. You do. You come in, you know, I, I like to come into theater about an hour before the show before, you know, because I want to be really relaxed and prepared to warm up and everything. And then um, Sundays is usually a matinee. So you have your Sunday evenings. Um, but nowadays, like because of budgeting, again, I find that some some of the smaller theaters, they don't show on Monday and Tuesday. Some some don't show on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So they go from Thursday through Sunday. Interesting. Um, but I guess under a healthy budget, a theater company ideally wants to run every day except for Monday. Wow. You know? And for me, I was... I was like, you know, I was, I was ecstatic because that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You don't want to work at the bookstore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> it just seems hard to imagine that you'd, you'd be, you know, working during the day or whatever you're doing during the day. And then you're, okay, I have to go do this play. And then I just I also think that it's going to take a lot of energy out of you. So you perform for an hour, two hours, three hours, or however long it is. And then yeah. I'm assuming you're going to crash hard. Because it takes a lot of energy, I'm sure, right? It it does, but after a while, you get you get the stamina for it. Gotcha. I mean, in a, I think in a perfect world, every actor doesn't want to be doing anything else besides the show, you know, um, or they might want to be working on another show during the day and then come <laughs> home, come, come to the theater and do another. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah, that like, makes sense. But life happens, bills happen. You know, um, you have families. You have things that you have to take care of. So, yeah, you do sometimes, you know, yeah. you find yourself in that situation. But there is, it's like when you're doing, I'm sure you can relate to this. When you're doing the thing that you loved and the thing that you believe that you are called to do. That's true. You will never tire from it. I agree. You can, yeah, you can do it forever. 
Yeah. Tell me, so. tell me what the process was. So you got your master's from Rutgers, which is amazing. This is one of the best schools to go to for, for acting. You knew. I mean, I'm sure you knew what you were getting into, right? I knew what I was getting. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I knew I was going into an intensive three-year, you know, master's of fine arts actors training. I knew that I was, I was going to go and get trained. I had no actors vocabulary except for like the six week thing that I had did. And, you know, I knew what I was getting into in terms of a workout. What's an actor's vocabulary? So just knowing like, um, you know, what it means, what backstory means. Okay, backstory is like when you sit and you 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 know you create a story of everything that's happened to your character. Gotcha. Before, so the business, know, like the you had no understanding of you were like an outsider. You weren't like a right. Yeah. Not even the business. That's something yeah. else. But like, but the craft of it. Yeah. The craft. The craft of it. The yeah. Craft yeah, of gotcha. it, no concept of it really, except for what I had been introduced to before. Um, I didn't know how much it was going to. Um, shape me. You know, I think a lot of master's programs and, and at the time, like Rutgers is really like they teach the Meisner program. It's really amazing in that in that way. Um, the strategy was in the first year to kind of break you down and then they build you up. <laughs> and it's not unique to Rutgers. I find that when I talk to people, a lot of different graduate acting programs do this. Um I was always, uh, again, I found myself, you know, I seem to always, I tell you, I'm not, I, I always find myself as like kind of the outsider, <laughs> you know, there was like in my class, we were the first in a long time. We had, I think there was four women. I'll just call them like, including myself, there was four African-American women. Right. And then there was three African-American men out of class of 20, two of those men ended up being asked to leave you know, at a certain time, along with another student. So it just wasn't specific to their ethnicity. But um, it, it wait, wait, wasn't... Wait, why were they asked to leave? What, what were well, the circumstances? Okay, so if you're not like... Like you can... Just like any other program, you can, you can be given warnings. Um, if you don't work on certain things, if you're not getting the technique... Oh, I got you. If you're not like, you know... I guess you're not learning it the way that they want you to they and they feel like they're at their wits end they're just gotcha, like okay gotcha. you need to but now they don't do that anymore they just kind of like give you a they'll say take a break and go like go study at the studio and decide if you want to come back um but yeah it's it was definitely like oh it was that but i i found myself like okay all these people have have had some type of actors training it's like what am i doing you know <laughs> and i remember speaking to my uh acting teacher because I was very quiet mm. I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to like I had learned so I'm borderline you may not get this from me talking so much to you but <laughs> I'm like borderline introvert extrovert it really depends on my environment you know I, I don't I'm not a really that shy of a person but if the environment doesn't feel safe to me mm -hmm. I I do just go right in right I go inside. And so that's kind of what I was doing. And I could tell that my teacher was probably trying to figure out what is going on with her. <laughs> like, is she getting the work? Yeah. Because I would see when my classmates, you know, were getting the technique and they mm -hmm. were doing it and they were getting accolades. I'm like, okay, I see what they're looking for. But it took me a long time 
And I, I remember going to the teacher and saying, you know, because I'm not that like I'm not good at kissing up. And I saw my fellow classmates doing that too. <laughs> but I said, you know, I'm gonna talk to you and I'm gonna tell you this. I understand everything you're saying to me. It's it's that I don't have the acting vocabulary right now. I don't have the experience. So I need the time to process mm. the notes. But trust me, when I get them, I'll get them. Interesting. You know, and she said, okay. She said, all right, thank you for letting me know. And eventually, like, I worked my butt off. You know, I did all this extra work. I had a partner in the class. Her and I would work all the time outside. And we finally, like, got into the flow. And, and it was really where I learned. My teacher would tell me, Antu, you are an actor. And that seemed to always be the, that was the thing, like, I wanted it, but I didn't know if I was it when I was in the environment of all these other actors. Interesting. If that makes sense. I started yeah, doubting doubting myself. Can anybody become an actor? Can anybody be trained to be a good actor? Or is that a, a gift as well? I think there's... I, I teach acting at Rutgers to, to BA students. So I'm going to say this is from experience <laughs> from, as, a, as a teacher. Yeah. Um, not everyone can be trained to be a good actor. Hmm. I think uh, there's a book that we teach out of. Uh, Uta Hagen was a German-American uh, actor and, and a writer. She wrote a book called Respect for Acting. And she talks about the things that make up, um, what makes up a, a good actor, okay? Like, number one, you have to have um, talent. And, and talent means, like, being able to work hard and have the desire to be vulnerable, to apply yourself to your work. And not everybody really, really um, is willing to be vulnerable. And vulnerable doesn't always mean like crying. And I tell my students, this, it doesn't always mean being able to cry. It does mean being able to show your heart and experience openly in front of other people what brings you joy, what brings you you know, uh, sorrow, what, um, what allows you to really be present in the moment mm. and be yourself unapologetically. Because the crafting, I mean, the work is about like learning how to be yourself unapologetically so that when you're put into a script, a film script or a play, you're unapologetically, you know, that person. But that, that person really is a part of you. Like my acting teacher used to tell us all the time, you know, um, all of us have have it in us to be, you know, uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh when I say this, but it's like you have the potential to be an axe murderer. <laughs> like true. you do. It's just. I the agree. Thing, the I totally only, agree. Yeah. The only thing that prevents you is your moral code. You know what I mean? And the circumstance. So when you're cast as a character, you have to create the circumstance of meaning that would allow you to do that thing. Like, what would make Antu be that person? What would have to happen for me to be that person? And not everyone wants to go on that journey. You know what I mean? And not everyone is open and available. Like, some people are really smart and and they're they're like they're highly super intelligent, and they have to work off of logic. So if you're that type of a person, you can't be trained as an actor because mm. acting is so much of acting is not logic based. It's, it's 
it's so spiritual and so emotional that if you you get you have to be out of your head for you to be trained. <laughs> you have to you have to be a little crazy to be an actor. <laughs> Uh, just kidding. I'm, that's, just kidding. That's I'm just kidding. Funny. <laughs> I guess that's what it sounds like out of your head. No, when we say out of your head. Yeah, I know what you mean. You, you can't just operate in your own world and, and expect your rules to apply every time. I'm assuming that's what you're saying, right? No, you can't think it. You can't think it through. Like you can't like if you're um, if you're a mathematician, like, you know, two plus two doesn't always equal four when you're acting. Gotcha. You know, that's what I mean. Like. It's not a cerebral uh, vocation, but that's funny that you said that. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna feel that. I'm gonna say, <laughs> well, somebody be, I was gotta talking be a little to crazy, be a little, just crazy. A little crazy. And that too, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. So you know, we I've seen you on Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got an upcoming television television series called um, Gypsies, I believe. Yes. The gypsies. gypsies. Mm-hmm. Tell us about yeah, that. So. What's, what, what is that role? Yes. Uh, so I'm working on a show called Gypsy, which is a new Netflix series starring Naomi Watts. And it's a drama thriller type of a show. Uh, it's about a therapist who gets involved uh, in her clients' lives. So in parentheses is unethically, right? It's obvious. Um, and uh, the main character uh, is uh, Jean Holloway, and she's played played by uh, Naomi, and I play Sasha Knowles, uh, who is Jean's uh, co-worker, uh, slash, you know, um, Sasha is also a psychiatrist and therapist. There's several of us uh, therapists in the office. Um, and without giving away too much, I'll say that I'm happy to be working on a show that is addressing um, one of our pressing social issues uh, of the time, of our time, uh, in a very uh, entertaining and uh, clever and well-written and well-acted uh, way. Um, so it's set for release in July. So y'all tune in because uh, you're going to be on a ride. It seems like it's going to be an ongoing role or is it a, just kind of a few episodes? I would, I would like it to be. Um, <laughs> you, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I would like it to be. It's so... I'm in a couple of episodes... But it's kind of like one of the episodes is like, catch me if you can. You know, I'm real quick. Mm. Like, you can't really see me. You might see me, but I'm going to put that in all my posts. Catch catch on to if you can this episode. <laughs> um, I have a, it's a small role, um, but I will say about the script, it's really good. It's um, it's like kind of a drama thriller thing. Mm. Um, I play one of the coworkers, I play a coworker of the main um, character who is phenomenal in it. Um, and... I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm learning. I take everything I do, you know, no matter how small or how big the role is, I take it as a learning lesson to help me to the next, to the next step. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, cause I have, like, I have goals and I have, uh, I have visions for myself. And so like, okay, God, whatever you got for me, this is, this is part of, this is on my way where I can be really prepared for the next thing. Gotcha. So, um, I am excited about it though. Cause it, it was, it was what gave me, um, I was able to get my, my SAG membership, which is oh, congratulations. Green Actors Guild. Yeah. And for me, that's been a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I saw your, your film reel. Which, which it's is about to change because <laughs> that last scene is going. The, I, got, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta I tell got you, it's it, it's it's a it's three 
roles that are very different. Yeah. Because I, I saw the first one, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I saw the ones, I'm like, wow, that's deep. And I saw the third one, I'm like, she, yeah. you're so different than each and every one of them. And the third one was, was crazy. It was crazy. It was, it was a little crazy. It's cuckoo. That's <laughs> but the cuckoo part I, the of me, range, but I Honestly, I really saw, I tangibly saw a range of acting uh, skill. And it's, you know, amazing. You went from a very lovely, you know, African wife. And you did, you did that uh, West African accent pretty good, too. <laughs> um, and then you you go into this kind of like a southern mother, right? Yeah. And then you went yeah. into like a crazy inner city <laughs> inner city girl. <laughs> I was advised, as much as fun as I have with that yeah. scene, I was advised to remove it. And actually, the, re- the other reason why that scene is going down is is because it's it's a play. Actually, it's not a it's not a film, and the quality like I've been getting advice that the quality isn't. Yeah, that yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Production and quality is not as good as the other two. I would say no. Yeah, yeah. But hey, I can send you. A, yeah, send, <laughs> send me a link. Send me a link. We'll post it for our listeners. <laughs> okay. So so tell me about your foundation. I, w- I want to know uh, how it got started and and what the vision is and and the kind of work that you've been doing. Sure. So Shuggy Song Performing Arts Collective is a nonprofit organization that focuses on um, developing pieces that center on international women's issues. And we also provide performing arts education for grades four through 12. And we got started initially years ago when I was working with another nonprofit that was looking for um, a performing arts vendor um, to it was an after-school program that that taught some that taught language arts, math, and um, different arts. So they were looking. They had lost their performing arts vendor, and they knew that I was an actor. And they said, "Hey, you should do this, uh, but you need to you need to be a nonprofit." <laughs> I'm like, "Hmm, okay." So I met with a lawyer. You know, he helped us with the paperwork, yeah. and so I had a, a collective of artists that I worked with, and we taught acting, dance. Um, singing, playwriting, you know, we taught that to uh, grades basically four through eight at the time. And then we did a, we did two years and we did a summer camp um, and we taught older students as well. And w- with that organization that we were working with, they lost, like their grant ended so that they couldn't rehire us. Mm. So that part of the organization has kind of like halted. Um, you know, it's on pause, I'll say. It's just pause because we haven't, gotten another contract yet um but uh we've had a couple of readings of different plays and oh this is something okay so recently uh so one of my plays because i'm a playwright as well and uh one of my plays called morning sun which premiered in new york last year it's been getting right it's all all over the internet when i think when i searched for you i think that's what i got the most hits on yeah so we premiered the play uh, it's it, we premiered it in New York last November, um, and then it got selected to be a part of the Kampala International Theater Festival in Uganda this year, in no, this November. We just got back a few weeks ago. Oh wow! So we did that production there, and it was a trip because uh, well, so 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 okay, the the festival covered everything for the artist except for the airline tickets and. Mm. This was a seven-person cast. Oh wow! Um, in addition to our cameraman, so we had because um, I had somebody film the the experience for us, and so we had to raise money, raise the funds through Shuggay Song, mm-hmm. uh, through an Indiegogo campaign, and then we also had help from um, 
Rutgers University to make up for the amount that we didn't make through the Indiegogo campaign. So the reason Shuggay Song was able to actually, you know, do the fundraising for it was because the play actually um, is about the fistula epidemic. And it takes place, the first act is in Ethiopia, and then the, the second act is in uh, New York. So that was really a trip, like to see two different audiences, mm. you know, the New York audience and the Kampala audience, mm -hmm. how they received the play. Interesting. And um, they, you know, it was, it was interesting because New York audiences were very educated about it because they didn't know. They were like, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. And this was such a beautiful play. And oh, my goodness. And they were able to actually donate to the Fistula Foundation, who we had set up, um, you know, a connection with through the performances. Oh, that's great. And then but then the, the Uganda audience was like, do you know that I know women in my village that this happens to and we oh, never wow. hear from them again? Wow. Like, we all know this exists, but we never talk about it. Wow. And that's why they invited us to come. Wow. They're, they, they're a very forward festival that wants to talk about pressing social issues of the day. So that's something we just came off of. And so that's the, like, that's the thing that Chuggy's song was involved in last. Um, so right now, I'm, I am looking for, like, I would love to do a reading series of pieces through Shuggay Song uh, um, with like people that want to do work. We did a collaboration with an organization called Disturb to Deliver. Mm. Um, and that was, I don't know if you know Yodith Kafle, but she's an author and she's also like very, um, you know, she's very present. And that was her organization at the time. Um, but we had done an event where both organizations got together to um, bring awareness to child trafficking, because that's what oh, wow. Disturb to, di to Deliver was very focused on, educating people about that. So, yeah, we're always looking to do more work like that, um, awareness work. Um, that's that's kind of the premise of, yeah, that's what yeah. we do. So you're a philanthropist. You're a writer. You're an actress. You're a teacher. You teach acting. What is next? I mean, is there is there a limit to the, the onto that we are exposed <laughs> to, or what do you want to do? What is what is the next chapter? I, you know what, this, oh, I really <laughs> okay. So I started writing my first screenplay. Oh, nice. Um, this is something I want to do. Yeah. I'm so focused on expressing um, ourselves, our world mm -hmm. through the arts. So any way that I can do that. Oh, Any fantastic. way that I can help shed light or make people um, more compassionate or connected to one another, I don't, I don't close the doors. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if that means being in like in, you know, uh, t I can't. There's an, there's no actor that I know who doesn't want to win an Oscar. Yeah, okay? of course, yeah. So yeah. if that means winning an Oscar, yeah. So that I can produce that film or get that film or that play or the, uh, you know. That, that thing that is bringing awareness back to um, to the world community so that people will invest and, and, and donate to the different causes, then I'll do it. I, I don't feel like, you know, my mother always did tell me, even though she didn't know I wasn't going to be an actor, she's still not that happy with it because <laughs> it's like you said, you know, she's just waiting for that big, big break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but... She always said to me, whatever you want to do, you can put your mind to it. And I take that a step further and say, I know 
what I want to do and there's different ways to do it. Like my mission, like I feel like we're here to make things better for the next generation. We're here to make it better, not just for the next generation. If we can fix or make things better for somebody else right now too, let's do that. And if you've been given certain, you know, abilities, then you have to use those abilities to make that happen. I agree. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. So for the... (laughs) aspiring young actor, actress, or somebody who's just even curious about the industry, you know, what would you, what kind of advice would you give that person? Trust yourself. Mm. So big. Cause I still, I'm still learning that because mm. I find myself in new environments all the time. Mm. So trust yourself. Um, don't give in to doubt and get some training. Mm. Like train, get some training. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. I got one personal question that I I've always wanted to ask people, and anytime I come across people in the industry, I always ask. It seems like Hollywood TV, you know, even theater. There's there seems to be a dark side to it. Mm. There seems to be, uh, you know, the people who make it to the top. Like the A-listers within theater, within TV, within uh, movies, there just seems to to be a either kind of a dark element or a weirdness to it. Is there like kind of is this whole like kind of selling yourself at the crossroad? You're selling your soul at the crossroad. Is that like is that a real thing? Like do people really have to like? Is there something that you have to do in order to make it big or I mean, are you talking about the Illuminati? <laughs> I, I, yes. Without saying, well, that's just putting a label on it. Right. right but is right, there right. really like, is there really like, a, like you have to like really be able to do anything and everything in order to get, to make it that big or do people just catch a break and they, they end up making it big. I think, well, you might want to talk to me after I've, I've made it to that level. Right. You know, talk to me in yeah. two years, honey. Talk All to right. me in two years. No, but from my experience, and yeah. I can only speak from that experience, yeah. it's it's about going in there and being really, really, really flippant, like flipping good at what you're doing in that moment. Mm. It's also timing. Mm. Because if it's your time, if it's meant for you to do this, the people in the room will receive what you're doing mm. and they'll take you to the next job. Interesting. You know what I mean? And it's not, I, I see, I don't even, I don't even think it's the people in the room. Like mm. I believe like it's God yeah. and it's God saying, I'm putting this group of people in this moment to make this happen. So it's timing, but while, while you're getting ready for the timing, you have to be prepared. Prepare, prepare. And, yeah. And I I don't think, I mean, outside of like, of course, there's connections, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're like a, you know, Oscar nominated or Oscar winning filmmaker and we're cousins, you know, of course, there's going to be that. Yeah, yeah, of course, there's that piece of it, you know, people's husbands and wives and there's that piece of it. But I think what it really boils down to is, um, faith yeah keeping the faith like knowing that this is your thing this is what you're doing but also staying good at what you're doing that's awesome and then i can't the darker side of it is like the negativity 
you just can't, I, I don't think you can give into negativity. I'm like, if you want to experience it, like save it for your character work. <laughs> you know, you can experience it when you're playing that character who's down in the gutter. Yeah. You know? Or when, when, when you're playing Denzel in Training Day. <laughs> right. Save it for that experience. Then I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to think that because then it's like you're setting yourself up. Like, yeah, I got you. you gotta sell my soul. Yeah, I, well, I don't want to sell my yeah. soul. Well, I'll do, then you walk in with desperation. I'll do anything. Yeah, I got you. And that's, people don't like that either. In this yeah, I got you. People hate that. Gotcha. Antu, how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? So um, I think the best way to reach out to me is through my Facebook page because you can, my fan page, you can send messages there and I do respond. Oh, that's um, fantastic. So you don't have like a bot or a person who's like, you know, like your ghostwriter onto like a little no, <laughs> intern that does this for you. <laughs> No, is that, is that uh, it's bad? You. No, no, no. Like, it's good. It might change I, in a few years. There, but right it's, now. <laughs> they're actually, here's the thing, right? There, so there's people who've been doing that. And the moment their fans find out, they like flip. So like the, oh. the whole social media thing is like no more bots and no more ghostwriters because it, it ends up working against you. You know? mm, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you reached out. Listen, yeah. you write me. Yeah. I mean, don't write me anything crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> A little crazy. <laughs> just a little crazy. Like, just a little. <laughs> Just enough where Just, me as the actor will find it amusing. Right. That's that's good. But don't step outside of that box. Yeah, there you go. Um, but you can also, you can follow up with me on, you know, my fan page. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I've, I didn't used to be as much, but lately I've been, I've been doing the twit. I've yeah. been twitting um, lately. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Atu, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, very Thank insightful. Thank you so much. You're yeah, such no, a it's, great interviewer. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I, I enjoy doing this, but you make it easy. To find out more about my guest and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit www.ethiospodcast.com. <laughs>